Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 14. In this episode, we take a look at the book of Revelation. Yes, that's right. You heard me. We're looking at the book of Revelation, probably one of the most discussed books in the Bible, the one that's uh, got most people's heads spinning when they think about it. Well, Brian tells us a bit about the book, why it's called Revelation, and what the book can mean for us in the church today. We talk about some interesting things. Uh, I think you're really going to like it. If you're enjoying the podcast, would you mind leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or, as another option, a review on Facebook? There's an option for you to do that as well. Now, if you don't feel like that, but you still like what we're doing, would you mind sharing the post uh, about this episode or another episode that you've enjoyed on Facebook? Uh, We'd love to expand our audience and help others uh, explore their faith and and, and find out more about what they believe. So uh, you've got a couple options there. So we'd appreciate you uh, doing that for us. Well, thanks again for listening. We're so glad that you're listening with us today. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump right into this episode, exploring the book of Revelation. All right, Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. Hey, it's a beautiful day here at the Bistro. Good to see you, Ryan. It is a beautiful day at the Bistro. We've got our coffees. I've got an Americano. I've got a mocha, first mocha I've had in like three months. It's really, really good. I'm enjoying it. It's not just a first mocha. It's like you haven't had a lot of sugar in the last three months. So That's correct. I've been on a a real strict diet. This this could be real interesting. (laughs) It may jazz me up a little bit. We had lunch and you're like real strict, you know, sugar and, and no bread, but... Then I had a, had a mocha, right? <laughs> when you, you said a, a cup full of hot sugar, is that what you said? <laughs> That's what I said. Okay, indeed. Well, hey, we're so we're back here. We're actually going to talk about something serious, not just our problems with food. Um, right. So we're going to talk about the book of Revelation. Yeah, I'll even talk about why it's the book of Revelation. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. The, you said that there were some questions. You know, when people found out we were doing a podcast. Yes, I, that, I asked a, a, a group of my friends. I shared some of our early episodes with them, and I said, "Hey, what would you like us to talk right. about?" And one of them said, "Like in times, Book of Revelation." Sure. And I was like, "Well, that's kind of jumping in the deep end of the pool." Right. right. Um, you know, for me, it's a book that you know I've read several times. It's confusing, and you think you understand something, and so it's mm. you know it's talking about. It's a apocalyptic right uh, literature Which is a word we'll talk about a little yeah later. we'll talk a little bit and so it was just one of those areas that were uh, that was of interest and I think for a lot of people it yeah. is I'd, somewhat interesting what's this going to be like what's this look like yeah when somebody you know finds out I'm a New Testament professor I you know I get that a lot you know or when when I'm a teacher of the New Testament they'll say oh yeah what's what, tell me about the Book of Revelation but. You know, and you were kind of hesitant at first. Is that fair to say, yes, Brian? I was, and I think that's true for a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians are kind of, you know, maybe they don't even, you know, I've, I've talked to church members about this, and like, I don't even want to read the Book of Revelation. It's like, you know, and there's a, there's an irony to this, I think, because I'm going to tell you two things. I always call this the irony of, of, of apocalyptic. The first is that the book. I mean, if you think about the name, the Book of Revelation, it, it is meant to reveal. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, it's in the title, right? And, and <laughs> yes. I'll talk about where that title comes from a little bit later, but, but, you know, and people instead, like you said, seem to think it's obscuring things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and so that's one irony. The other irony is I, I'm going to tell you this and, and you may not believe me right now. And and I'll, I'll go ahead and say, this is just, we're going to introduce the book of revelation. Obviously we can't dissect it in detail at this point, but just like we've talked about some other books along the way, I'm sure we'll come back to this and talk about some different parts of it and maybe give some examples. But 
it's a book that is meant to be an encouragement. It's actually meant to be a comfort for Mm. Christians. And yet oftentimes we read it and it's, it's scary. I can remember when I was a kid, I was, I was scared of, of what the book of revelation told because there seems to be some, some really frightening images in it and that kind of thing. The horsemen, the seals being broken and what's coming. Right. So let me start this way. And and I'll I'll say this, we we make a couple of mistakes, I think, with Revelation. First, we treat it somehow, somehow we treat it differently than we do any other book of the Bible. And and we've talked about this, the importance of understanding genre. Mm -hmm. And it is a kind of an interesting genre. And I'll, I'll start with that. We'll talk about what kind of genre the book of Revelation is. But, but then all the other tools that we usually use that we've been talking about, things like thinking about worldview and culture and history and language, those kind of seem to go out the window. And, and we just come up with all these kind of <laughs> wild theories. Yes. There's been plenty um, of them over the years. Well, that's, a, that's the thing I think. And, and you know, you, you, you talked about that. And, the, and within our culture, I think we, we've talked before about, when we talked about John 14, I remember talking about this, that sometimes the cultural appropriation of a particular biblical book makes us look at it in a way that maybe it wasn't intended to be looked at. Right. And, you know, there's all kinds of really bad movies out there <laughs> that are that are based around the book of Revelation, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, Antichrist, and which, by the way, that word never occurs in the book of Revelation. I don't know if you knew that or not, but the I, word I anti- Antichrist doesn't appear there. We'll talk about that another day, but... You know, we get these we get these images. You know, the the number of the beast, and you know, mm-hmm. heavy metal references, and you know, all yeah. this kind of stuff. And and we tend to again, even if we're even if we're not actively, even if we've never sat down and watched one of those movies, by cultural osmosis, we kind of you know soak that stuff in. People talk about the Book of Revelation in this way, and and we kind of think about it too. So. Let me just talk about the genre first, because like I've said, whether we're looking at the Gospels or we're looking at one of Paul's letters or we're looking at the the Old Testament law or an Old Testament prophet, we need to think about what what genre, what kind of literature this is, because each of them have their own rules. I think I gave the example before, you don't go to the newspaper and expect it to read like a mystery. Right. You You don't read a novel like you would a book of history. We need to think about... We always make allowances for the kind of genre. So, I, I use this term. You, you you talked about apocalyptic. You said that you said that word. Mm-hmm. We t- we call this genre apocalyptic literature. And the interesting thing is that name come act, comes actually from the Book of Revelation. The very first word in the Book of Revelation in Greek, and I know you love it when I when I bust out the Greek. I, I, I do. Yeah. So here it's <laughs> it, it's Greek day in the bistro. So uh oh, the word is apocalypsis. Okay, apocalypsis. And apo, that part of it means kind of to take from. It's the word for from. And then calypsis is the idea of a covering. And so if you can imagine this, well, it's kind of like we see these guys, you know, they're sitting over here at the next table eating, and the chef brings in his meal to the bistro and mm-hmm. takes off the cover and shows them the nice meal that's been prepared underneath it. That's the, the idea of apocalypsis and an uncovering, right? Okay. And that's so, so then. The English word, we translate that word. That's the first word in the whole book. And the, the word we translate that as is revelation. See, something that okay. is, see, something that's been revealed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get to a pet peeve. We actually did this in a previous episode, I think. <laughs> One of my pet peeves, and my students know this, when you say the book of Revelations, that's incorrect. And and we'll see why a little bit later. Yes, but you, you did correct me it is, soundly <laughs> when I said this last time. It is singular. This is 
revelation, and and I'll show you why that's important a little bit, a little bit later. So okay, so here are some of the things. So so apocalyptic literature gets its name from the Book of Revelation, but there are books that are earlier than the Book of Revelation, and there are books that are after the Book of Revelation that share similar characteristics uh, that we see. But within the New Testament itself, Revelation is really the only book as a whole that has this genre. And that's sometimes, I think, why we treat it you know, differently. We, we, we don't know exactly how to ha- handle it. Yeah. And let me ask you a question on that. Sure. Sorry. Yeah, I know that's you're good. in a role here. No, but, no, no. So how do we think about this differently than like prophetic uh-huh. literature? So like for me, like I think sure. about something that has like hard imagery in it, like Ezekiel, right? which has some weird things, the yeah. four faces and all that stuff. How do I... You can tell me to shut up now, but just, you know, how do we think about those two differently? Because this is a totally different genre. I wouldn't say totally different. There are similarities, I would okay. say. Uh, I think there are some specific things about apocalyptic. As, as I go through the the different characteristics, I think you'll see some of the differences okay. and similarities. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Ezekiel has apocalyptic bits in it. Okay. Okay. And in fact, the author of the book of Revelation, who, who I think is John, well, he says in the, in the book itself, his name's John. We'll, we'll say something about that a little bit later, but... The the author uses images from from Ezekiel, like we talked about when we talked about worldview. That these are books that people would have been familiar with, images that they would have already known, symbols, mm-hmm. for example. And the author uses them uh, because they would have been familiar to the people then. And, you know, to us they seem weird, but they knew the book of Ezekiel. And, and I'll talk about some others as well. But there's some. So to answer your question, there's similarities between prophetic literature and apocalyptic literature. In fact, there are parts of some prophets that are apocalyptic, and mm-hmm. we'll come back and talk about that. But there are some differences, and and, and we'll see that. Well, let, let, let's go ahead. I mean, let me just talk about some of the characteristics of apocalyptic literature, basically, is what I'm, what I'm going to say. So first is, a revelation in apocalyptic literature is given by a supernatural being, typically, to a human recipient. So whenever you read the book of Revelation, for example, you have sometimes it's an angel mm-hmm. that appears to John. But the very beginning of the book, you might remember if you've read Revelation chapter one, mm-hmm. that there is this one who he describes. He doesn't he doesn't call him by name initially, at least, but he describes and it's Jesus. Jesus actually reveals these things to John. Look look at the why don't you just go ahead and read the first three verses of Revelation chapter one and kind of hang on to some of these things because we're going to come back to it. So this is Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Do you want to read that for us, Yes. Let me uh, pull it up here real quick. The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is ESV, by the way. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for now, the time is near. Now hold on to that, because we may come back to that in just a minute, but I want you to notice the first thing. You see, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's that word apocalypsis. It's singular. Mm-hmm. So this is the revela- This is Jesus Christ being revealed. Okay, this gotcha. is now we could say there's two different ways to understand the of there. Yes, this is Jesus Christ being revealed, but it's also the revelation that he is the one bringing it belongs to him. Mm-hmm. And so, we later on, if you read the rest of chapter one, I encourage you to go ahead and do that. You know, when some sometime today, if you're a listener here, go ahead and listen or re- read a Revelation one or or um, uh, listen to it on on audiobook or whatever. 
And, and you'll find that this one appears to John, and John basically, he says, I was like a dead man. I, you know, I fell down. But he placed his hand on me and basically gave him comfort and and then spoke to him, right? And, and so in apocalyptic literature, there's always some supernatural being. Sometimes it's an angel. Uh, sometimes it's another kind of figure. Sometimes it's a historical figure. There's a book, and a lot of people ask about this book all the time. It's called the Book of Enoch, or sometimes it's called First Enoch, because there's other what we call Enochic literature. But the, that Enoch uh, appears as this being who who reveals something to to the author of the book. Enoch, you might remember back in Genesis, yep. there was something very unique that happened to him. It says that he walked with God and was no more. Yep. So there, there rose this whole tradition about him that he never died, but he actually, in some ways, was translated into heaven, and and therefore he was seen by lots of people. In fact, he's mentioned in, in the book of Second Peter and also the book of Jude as someone who has the ability to, to, to tell others about things that they wouldn't know otherwise. So you've got these supernatural beings who are in the heavenly realms, let's say, who come down to, to talk about how things really are. So that's one characteristic. So you can see already some differences between prophetic literature. Some There's parts of prophecy that's that way, mm-hmm. but some of it's just like, well, the word of the Lord came to me. Right. right, and so yep. so it's not like this heavenly being came and guided me into this stuff. So that's one difference. The second thing we see, char- second characteristic, is revelation comes about a. I'm going to use the word cosmic here, <laughs> okay? And I don't mean that in the way we sometimes use it, but <laughs> it, the Greek word cosmos means everything. It's like the we we would use the word universe maybe or the world. It's sometimes translated word cosmos. It's talking about cosmic reality. So apocalyptic literature usually has these huge overarching themes. They're not just about a particular, like sometimes prophetic literature is to a king. You know, there's a word that came to Isaiah to the king Ahaz. You know, listen, Ahaz, this is what God says to you. You know, that, yeah. that's that's what we see. But this is a, typically apocalyptic's big scale kind of stuff. This is about the whole whole universe, really, right? Right. And you think about some of those images in the Book of Revelation; they're cosmic in scale. You know, the one of the images I remember as a kid, and we sing about it in some hymns, is the sky being rolled up like a scroll. Right. Yes. And that's that's pretty big. You know, <laughs> yeah. stars kind of fall, all encompassing. Stars falling from the sky. You know, those big images are something we see in, in the apocalyptic literature in the Book of Revelation, but apocalyptic literature in general. Thirdly, they tend to be highly symbolic. Very strong use of symbols. Now, I'll talk about different kinds of this as we get into this some more, but numbers are used symbolically typically. Numbers 12, 7, 144, 144,000, all of those appear, a 10. All these have symbolic meanings typically. And colors are used symbolically as well. So it, we, we still do this today. If I, if I use the color red, for example, Ryan, if you see a sign that's red, what, what does that make you think? Uh, warning, warning, right? Danger. You know, uh, you know. Sometimes you'll see a sign that's written in red, and and you know that there's danger there. Uh, stop. Yeah. You know, we stop signs are red. So so red is used symbolically a lot of times in in apocalyptic literature. White is another thing. When we think about white, we think about purity. For example, you know, wash me and I will be white as snow. For example, the scriptures tell us. And so these uh, these symbols are used often in apocalyptic literature, and that's what messes people up because they they don't know exactly how to interpret these symbols. And I think that's something to think about. The fourth thing is apocalyptic literature tends to be pessimistic about human efforts to make things right in the world. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, we could say it this way: to bring justice, to bring deliverance, humans aren't going to be able to take care of the situation. So God needs to intervene. Is kind of the the story of apocalyptic. Things are bad, and usually apocalyptic, I'll say, arises typically. Apocalyptic literature tends to come in times where God's people are being oppressed, when they're in an underdog situation, if you will, where they don't have power. That's when people write apocalyptic literature. And so f- the fifth and final thing, there's there's an emphasis on God's sovereignty, that God is in control. Even when things might not seem good, even when things might seem difficult for us, God is in control, and he's going to bring victory over evil. All those are different characteristics of apocalyptic literature. So any questions on that or th- thoughts on that in general? So No, I mean, I think it was really helpful to clarify what are the, the some of those differences yeah. there for me. Because I think, you know, I read Ezekiel, and it's got a lot of this imagery, sure. and I think we, we all gravitate to those thoughts of like, well, this is a lot of imagery, and I don't right. know what to do with it. And so to hear that just the, 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 the personal... Right, uh, you know that the, the the divine being is speaking this, right, uh, and the time, and so no, that sure. was it was good. No let questions. me let me give you an example of from Ezekiel because I'm gonna I'm gonna get tell you at least at least three places. Uh, well, let's let's say four books in the Old Testament that at least part of them are apocalyptic. So the book of Daniel mm-hmm. has some apocalyptic literature. Ezekiel is, and you've mentioned that a couple times. I'm gonna show you an example. I wasn't intended to do this, but I'm gonna go ahead and do that. Okay, parts of Isaiah. Are apocalyptic. There are certain chapters that have this kind of image. Now, not all of Isaiah, I would say, is it can be considered an apocalyptic book, but there's there's images of it. And in fact, again, the book of the author of the book of Revelation borrows some of those images. And then the book of Zechariah has apocalyptic literature in us, you know, apocalyptic themes in it as well. I'll say, uh, let me see if I can find this passage in Ezekiel that I was just thinking about really quickly. That you'll you'll see some of these characteristics. I think that we're thinking about. If you look at Ezekiel 47, I believe it is, yeah, you're going to learn one of my favorite themes here, but here's Ezekiel 47. I'm just going to read the first few verses, and and so here Ezekiel says, the man, and he's been talking about this, this divine being, this, this man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. Now, here are a couple of things you need to understand. Ezekiel is living in a time where the temple does not exist in Jerusalem. It's already been destroyed. Mm-hmm. And, and so this divine being, you see the apocalyptic character, brings him out and shows him this. And there's this river, and I won't read all this, but basically the river goes down to the east from Jerusalem. And the the farther it goes, it's a weird kind of river, because the farther it goes, the deeper it gets. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's a symbolic thing. Down, if you read verse 7, when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he says, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the Arabah where it enters the sea. And if you think about the sea that is east of Jerusalem, it's the Dead Sea. And so he says, wherever this goes, that becomes alive. The Dead Sea, of course, is dead. You know? yeah. <laughs> That's what it, they call it says the water will become fresh. And, and so... Swarms of living creatures. So, so he's talking about this idea of a river that will flow down, and everywhere it goes, it, well, let's call it the river of life, right? Everywhere it goes, it will bring life, just like mm-hmm. we see later in the Book of Revelation, for example. And, and so, you know, he he uses these kind of images, but you see that there's a divine being giving him these things. Ezekiel's living in a time where things seem hopeless for God's people. 
but basically the message is that God is still in control. So it has that characteristic of apocalyptic literature. And I, I kind of tongue-in-cheek call that the river of life because John uses that same image of trees growing on each side of the river that flows from the throne of God later in the book of Revelation. Mm. A lot of the images we see in Ezekiel are picked up in the book of Revelation. So it's just an issue of you know thinking about and learning how to how to understand it. So Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah, all of these have certain, at least certain segments of apocalyptic. Daniel, basically chapter seven through twelve are apocalyptic in in nature, and we're going to see some similar images there as well. I mentioned a couple of books that we usually we we use this term of intertestamental before. You yes. know, in other words, after the closing of the Hebrew Bible or the the Old Testament, and before the coming of John the Baptist, this roughly four century period. And, and there are some apocalyptic literature that's written then, because again, God's people were being oppressed by foreign powers. So this men, book I mentioned, First Enoch, mm-hmm. is not a part of the Hebrew Bible. It's not a part of the Old Testament. It was written after the time of the Old Testament, but before the writing of the New Testament. So we've talked about worldview, for example, and and one of the things that we said is. To understand people's worldview, you have to understand the repeated stories that they tell. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you the stories about Enoch were very important to the people in the first century. So these were stories that helped identify them. And so when Peter comes along and refers to, to Enoch, people knew who he was talking about, right? That, yeah. That's why that, they weren't digging way deep to try no. to find the, the, the parallel. They knew exactly, right? So that's understanding the worldview sometimes requires us to read some of these books that they would have known, they were familiar with. Now, the New Testament, the book of Revelation, of course, is our most famous apocalyptic literature, but there's a few sayings of Jesus or speeches that Jesus makes that have this kind of character as well. And the most famous one, we call it the Olivet Discourse. I don't know if you remember that one. Mm-mm. I've referred to it already a couple of times. It's when the disciples are talking about how great the temple is. And Jesus says, I tell you, there's coming a time where not one stone will be left on the other. And they're like, well, what's, what's the signs of the coming of the end of the world? Uh-huh. And then, you know, you might remember Jesus uses these kind of phrases like, uh, you know, the, the bl- moon will turn to blood and the sun will be dark in the day of the great coming of the Lord. And, and he, he uses basically apocalyptic images in that, in that passage. So even in the New Testament, the Revela- Book of Revelation isn't the isn't the only thing that's that's apocalyptic. But okay. so so all those are things to think about as we approach the Book of Revelation. Uh, again, we think about it within that within that context, and, and you know, I I don't think there's anything for us to be afraid of. Let's go back to Revelation one okay. one through three that we were talking about earlier. I, I mentioned this, and I said we would come back to this. So we see this divine character who's who's going to show John these things. But then read verse 3 again there. I want I want you to listen to this. Okay. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Okay, so there's a blessing there, which I think is is something to keep in mind when we approach Revelation. The promise is if you hear these words and, and then it says you'll keep them. And, and we'll come back to that in just a minute, mm-hmm. but but then you'll be blessed. So I guess I just want to start out with this to say there, there's a there's a guy who's a colleague of mine who who talked about Revelation much more than I ever have, and he would always start out with this idea. I'm talking about Bob Lowry, fantastic scholar and teacher on the Book of Revelation. 
he would always start off with this idea that you know there's blessing here for us to to read in in the book of revelation so don't don't be afraid of it in fact it's something that we're promised blessing if we if we pay attention to but here's the other thing I want you to notice it says to hear and to keep these words what does it mean to keep the words of the book of revelation so Sometimes we approach the book of Revelation, and you 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 did it yourself. You're kind of like, well, we we want to know what's these things are going to happen, and and so we we think of the book of Revelation as something that's going to tell us about what's going to happen in the future. That that's kind of the way we approach it. That's the questions we ask about it. When that might not be exactly what the author and what the Holy Spirit working through the author is trying to bring about, uh, and, and in fact, it may be about how we are to live in in a time and in a culture where there are things we need to be wary of. Here's the other thing. Just, just notice that the things that are about to take place. Now, when we say that, again, we, we got to remember within its historical context, Book of Revelation, we'll, we'll talk about this another day, I believe was written around the time of the reign of Domitian. I, I'm not the only one that thinks that. There's some dis- disagreement but we're talking about the end of the first century, up through, let's say, Domitian's reign ended about 96 AD. So this is one of the later books in the first century, one of the latest books in the New Testament, probably, written during that period of time. And so he talks about those things that are soon to take place. Now, we read that in our context, and we think, oh, that means you know 2022, right? Yes. And, 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 but you got to remember, historically, where he's talking about is, you know, the end of the first century. So that's something to at least keep in mind that, mm-hmm. again, we, we... There's a context to this. We don't treat the book of Revelation differently in the sense that, you know, it's within its historical context. So that's where I think we have to begin. And I think there's some things that make a lot of sense if we think think in those terms. Now, like I've said with every other part of the, of the Bible, it, it applies to us. It, it has, In fact, it has rich meaning, I believe, for us. But we have to understand it appropriately within the culture, within the context, within the genre, the kind of literature that it is in order to get there, basically, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So go to chapter 22 then, verse 7, because there's a parallel kind of at the end of the book. This is Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. Do you have that there? Yeah, I do. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So you see that idea again, keeping keeping the words of Revelation. We don't, we don't often think about keeping these things. So here's what I'm going to say, and, and this is, again, Bob Lowry that I just mentioned, Dr. Lowry, he would say that the book of Revelation is as much a discipleship manual as it is a blueprint for the future, right? It, it, mm. It's about how do we live as believers in a culture and in a context that may be foreign to our values and, and to some of the things that we believe. In fact, for the the author and for the people that he's directly addressing may even be oppressing them, or there may even be a, a very strong work against Christians in, in that context. So it's about how do we endure? How do we live in, in the midst of these things? What's the truth that we can think about in, in terms of what God is doing in this particular context. Let me say one more thing, and then I'll... Or do you have any questions at this point, Ryan? No, I mean, it's... I had never heard or felt like thought of Revelation differently. Like, I've, I've always right. thought of it as its context was always forward. Future, right. Future context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not... I don't, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Context was future, but like yeah. that, that its message was a future-oriented thing. Right. It was more of a letter to 
the church is going forward always. I think that's what I'm saying. Culturally, we we kind of absorb that. I think there are many Christians who who think of it in that way, and I do think there are things that it talks about the coming of Jesus. There are things that are their future. I'm not I'm not saying that there's not. But I think to see it as some kind of a specific blueprint about this is going to happen and then this is going to happen, I think is not to exactly understand it properly. And, and I'll go back to the book of Daniel. Now, here's where we get into some trouble, <laughs> because there are people who read the book of Daniel in connection with the book of Revelation. In fact, I'm going to be honest, there's usually one section of the book of Revelation, and it varies, but a lot of times it's it's a very specific one. I'll, I may mention this. We'll see how, how brave I feel in a minute, but... <laughs> There's one part of the book of Revelation that then people use in in order to understand all of these other passages, even from the Old Testament, okay? And, and the passage, I guess I'll get brave enough to say this, but the, the Drink pas- some milk, you'll be good. <laughs> Look at the energy. The passage has to do with this thing we call the millennium, mm-hmm. right? This yes. thousand thousand year period, this thousand year period of time that's talked about late in the book of Revelation. And so that becomes for people a lot of times the defining factor about how they understand the rest of the passages in the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to be careful about doing that. So often you'll say, people will talk about, well, what's your view of the book of Revelation? Are you premillennial? Are you postmillennial? You know, and, and so those are the kind of views. So where do you stand in connection to where you understand Jesus coming in, re- in relation to this thousand year period, mm. which is often understood? Literally, okay, and, and I've already said this, and I'll go back to it again. Often in the book of Revelation, numbers are used symbolically. Okay. Okay. So let me, let me just give you one example. So the number 12 is used frequently in the Bible as a whole. When you think of the number 12, what are some examples of 12s that you think of in the Bible? 12 tribes. 12 tribes of Israel, which is the, you know, they, they descended more or less from the 12 sons of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. 12 sons of Jacob. And so those 12 tribes together come to stand for God's people. Right. Okay. God's people as a whole are the 12 tribes. So what's some other 12s? Disciples. Okay. So Jesus. And, and here's the interesting thing. E- even though the gospel sometimes use different names for them, what all of the gospels agree on is that there are 12 of them, that Jesus intentionally chose 12 followers. And, and my point is he's saying something symbolically by doing that, I think. So you got the people of God in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? And then you have the 12 disciples. I think G- what Jesus is saying by choosing 12 and being very specific, I chose you, I chose you 12. He, he's saying, I am forming a new people of God in, in in me, basically. I'm, I'm calling to myself this new people of God. So you've got these two 12s. And so I guess what I'm going to say is oftentimes, I think when 12s are used symbolically, they are used to stand for the people of God. Now, there's a couple of interesting things in the book of Revelation. The first is we have this image early in the book of Revelation of the, of a throne. We may look at it here in a minute if we have time. I don't know how we're doing time-wise, but it says that there are there are different, and it, I always say position in the book of Revelation is so important. The throne is at, I'm going to go ahead and say it's the center of the universe, really. Mm-hmm. And everything else kind of grows out from it. So it's surrounded by these four living creatures, which are very similar to what we see in the book of Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. So this throne is surrounded by these four living creatures. And then that is surrounded in turn by 24 elders. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I know it's been a while since you've been in a math class, right? Oh, yes. But 24 is 12 times two. Okay. <laughs> or if you're not into multiplication, you can add them, right? So it's, it's 12 and 12, right? So yes. it's. And so I think what that's standing for is, you know, the 12 tribes, the 12 disciples, you know, this is the whole people of God is what we have going on here. Now, later on, there's another number that's often talked about, and there's lots of different debate and that kind of thing. And I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get into a deep level of this right now, but there's this number of, of people that is said to be 144,000. Mm-hmm. Now, 144, this is, okay, this is going to tax you a little bit more. I, I, I got it. You're, it's, you're there? It's it's 12 times 12. 12, 12 times 12, 12 yep. times? 1,000. Okay, so you got, this is God's people large, you know, a 1,000 times 1,000. 1,000 is a lot. I don't know if you know, but man, if you have a yeah. thousand, if you have 1,000 bucks, that's a lot of money, right? Yeah. So, 12, <laughs> I mean, not for you, but, you know. Oh, my <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so 12 times 12 times 1,000, 144,000 is what we've got going on there. So 1,000 is used for a very long number. 1,000 years is a long time, right? I have no way to judge okay. that. Who, I mean, yes, it is. I'm just saying like. Who, who would? Okay, so you may know this. This is Now we're getting to Bible trivia, and you always hate when I stump you oh, with Bible I trivia. I hate this. So, anyway, so who's, who's, let's continue it for everyone's listening who's, pleasure. Who, who's the oldest man in the Bible? Methuselah. Methuselah is the oldest man in the Bible, and he's something like 990-some years old. I can't remember exactly. I should look that up. But but it's all, you know, there's never been anyone live over a 1,000 years. So I think what we're talking about there is, is an unfathomable, you know, beyond our lifetime period of time. So anyway, these are the way that we see some symbols used and some numbers used. But again, that millennium becomes for a lot of people the way they go back and they read the book of Daniel. Daniel has these symbolic numbers. He talks about weeks and there's this many weeks. And so people try to figure out how that fits in with world history. And they say, well, we're up to this period of time. We've got these other things mm-hmm. that need to happen. And again, I don't think I don't think that's a primary point. When we read the book of Daniel... I think in a very similar way, it's talking about some future things, but they are things that happen relatively soon following the the ending of the writing of the book of Daniel. And some of them even happen during the writing of the, of the book of Daniel. And, and so I, I think apocalyptic literature, you said, how is it different than prophecy? I do think it has a prophetic nature, but really it's a lot about how do we live. Remember I said it's, it's written in times typically of difficulty for God's people. How do we live in the midst of these trials and these troubles and these difficulties? What is God calling us to do in the midst of this? Now, I said from the beginning, the book of Revelation is really meant to be an encouragement. And I think, you know, people are kind of cheated sometimes when I teach the book of Revelation, I mean, or they feel cheated, I think, mm-hmm. because... You know, I'll say I can really summarize the book of Revelation. The first day, I'll usually say, well, I'll tell you what the book of Revelation is all about. It's really telling us that Christ ultimately is victorious over any of the difficulties or any of the kingdoms of this world. And so people say, well, that that's too easy, right? It's too too simple. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other thing people say, well, why would why would we have the book of Revelation presented in this way? But then when you begin to look at the way that the book of Revelation presents this, I think it does it in a very rich, 
very visceral kind of way. Ryan, I, I say often we live in a visual time. You're, you're a videographer, yes, right? Yes. yes. You, you are. You are one of the kings of the world, right? Because you, you. Uh, <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> That's how I feel every day. I wake up and I'm like, I'm a king. Well, you know, you are able to influence people with the way you tell a story visually. Yes, that is true. And you think about you think about how these visuals affect. And you, you know, I don't. Uh, this is where I'm going to look like an idiot. You use all kinds of use all kinds of terms like uh, you know, uh, soft. What is it? Soft focus and and <laughs> I, see. You're saying like a depth of field, depth of like field. What, what's in focus and what's out of focus, right. drawing or, the, the or, eyes a certain place, or what happens when you when you you know start a shot from above and you you come you down, crane it down, right? Yeah. And what are you trying to get across there? You know, they're basically context. It's a medium, and in that form of storytelling, has particular tools that you use in order to to get across the point you're trying to make. Mm-hmm. Now, my point is going to be apocalyptic literature is the same way, and it's a I would say it's a very visual. Now we're we're reading it, but we're imagining these visuals. So you you get this throne that is like uh, precious jewels, and it's surrounded by a rainbow that is the color of emeralds. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I don't know if you've looked at a rainbow lately, but typically they don't all t- tend to be green, right? There, yes. But 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 you give what I'm saying is is he's using these descriptions in order to give us a visual representation, you know, in our imaginations of these things. Or oral, he 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 talks about he he spoke with a voice that was like the sound of many rushing waters, mm-hmm. or or like the sound of a trumpet. And so it, what it requires us to do is to think about what the significance of that would be. A trumpet, you know, announced, it was used in the ancient world to announce things. Yeah. You know, the temple times were announced with these shofar, these these ram's horn trumpets. Mm-hmm. You know, when a king comes in, you announce it with a trumpet. And so having a voice like a trumpet is saying, this is this is important. Listen to this. Pay attention to this. So, yeah, so that isn't a Charlie Brown teacher voice. No, that's a trombone. Wow, 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 Anyway, that's the voice of a trombone. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's just some things to think about when we're approaching the book of Revelation. It, does that bring any questions to you or anything else we need to talk about in, in relation to that? Uh, you know, I think it's the hard for me is when I'm thinking about this is when do I see this as a now or a future? Sure. You know, I'm like making that that divide. I, I, I hear what you're saying. Right. You know, it's just figuring out like, what is this... Uh, when is this about discipleship and when is this, when is this about future tense? You know, again, kind of saying like, yes, we're not saying God's voice is a trumpet, right? But when do we separate that as from like for them and a future and the future looking piece of this? Well, there's different people who answer that question differently. The first three chapters, most people are pretty comfortable with for whatever reason, the book of Revelation it has to do with the seven churches. And that's something they can see as, as dealing with the churches in that particular context. And then sometimes people in chapter four will say, you know, it begins something like after this, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And they'll say, from that point on, we're looking at something different. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think I think a lot of it has to do with, and again, we'd have to work through this verse by verse, but I think a lot of it has to do with things that were about to come to pass in the time of John during the reign of Domitian, when there was beginning to be persecution again within the church. There was persecution during the time of Nero. Mm -hmm. You might remember that. He was not a kind. Well, Paul and Peter, these two early pillars of the church were both killed during his reign, during his Mm -hmm. rule. 
And there were people who saw Domitian as kind of Nero returning. Mm -hmm. And that's the time that John is writing this. So I think that there's a lot of it that has to deal, you know, that that's, that's what it's about. But uh, you know, even even if we disagree on some of the some of those kind of things, I think there are some incredible images. I, I've mentioned before. I think that the Book of Revelation has this lamb who is also a shepherd. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's referring to Jesus, which is a really cool image to think about. That he's a shepherd who, in some ways, became a lamb. Right? He became right. like us so that he could understand and comfort us. You know, lamb is one of the one of the main words that are used. That then just thinking about these colors, you know, the red and the and the white and the and the purple and and all of these kind of images. There there are lots of ways I think to understand black like sackcloth, you know, or the moon like blood. All of these are images again when we think culturally, when we look at other literature, I think that can help, you know, we can help kind of understand and know how to interpret these things. You know, again, we we're not necessarily going to walk through the entire right. book of Revelation, at least here. We may do a class we, yeah, on we, that we, sometime. Yeah, we or, need to come we need to come back to this at some point. Because yeah. I mean, there's just so much imagery and, and what's happening there. Absolutely. But I think this, you know, maybe gives us a way to begin to think about it and maybe a different way to think about it than we have in the past. Yeah, that it that it is apocalyptic, but there's a there's a present tense to when it's r- being written, right? And then there's a future tense to, right. to Christ's reign. And certainly, things, yes, certainly, the way that things eventually are made right is really what what's what's going on in the Book of Revelation, which will be a future time. Yeah. Well, Brian, thanks so much for sharing with us. Yeah, I think, you know, thank you, Brian. I think this is a great introduction to sure. Maybe just think about Revelation a little bit differently, and maybe as you if you go back and read a little bit some of some of it to. Think a little bit differently about it, and uh, we'll probably come back to that here sometime soon. Yeah, let us know what questions you may have, too. It'd be really, really interesting to know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah, good to talk to you, Ryan. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Next week, we are back in the book of Revelation. One of our listeners, Mike, asked us a question about the book of Revelation. So this next episode is all about answering that question. We examine some of the imagery in chapter five and six and explore some of its meaning. Again, another fun conversation. Uh, I think you'll enjoy If you have a topic or question you'd like us to discuss, head on over to our website, thebiblebistro.com, and click the button in the upper right-hand corner to let us know. You can also find show notes, links, and more there, as well as sign up for our email newsletter to stay in touch, uh, but also to get some exclusive content that we are working on right now. You can find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just search for Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you next Tuesday.